your own continued personal growth is like the wellspring of expansion, development, prosperity, like all of those things. You have to sort of just be engaged with yourself, honest with yourself and committed to growing. Hi, I'm Nil Spinda, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Amanda Prince. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Great to be here. Well, Amanda, I'm super excited to dig into all things leadership with you today. But first, would love to get a little bit of a background on who you are, where you're working, and the type of work that you're involved in today. Yeah, so I'm uh, the Vice President of HR and Administration at a digital product consultancy called Carbon5. We've been around for about 20 years, headquartered in San Francisco, agile shop, and we work with companies ranging from sort of small, well-funded startups all the way up to big major enterprise companies that you would know. We're about 80 people, give or take, and I've been with the company for about nine years now. Wow. And so where did you start with the company nine years ago? Were you, have you been VP all along the way or was this a progression up to that level? I have not. It was a progression. So I was the first, I think, non-billable hire that the company brought in just to do admin work. I started as an office manager a long time ago. And here we are 10 years later, the company's grown a lot. The company's needs have changed. My career path obviously has shifted and got some definition and clarity added to it that ended up dovetailing really well with carbon five needs, which is why I'm still here. Um, there was definitely like a, some happy coincidence and chance along the way, but everything just lined up well and has unfolded better than what I expected and certainly in unforeseen ways. Well, that's fantastic. Let's let's take a trip back a little bit in time then and look at that, because there's a lot that comes when it comes to leadership development and progression that comes as a result of circumstance and being in the right place at the right time. Like that's a part of it. But there's a whole other part of it that I know you have a lot of experience in from our brief chat earlier. And would you share a little bit about some of your beliefs around what is absolutely critical to go from, you know, that position where you were in, where you were hired for admin work, and now you're the VP of HR? I, you know, I think in my particular case, my path and my story and what I've also seen for others, and keep in mind, I'm a psychotherapist. I'm a marriage and family therapist in the state of California, and I've had a clinical practice um, I don't actively have one now, but I've had I had clients up until quite recently. Um, so I have a very particular lens and how I look at things. But with that in mind, I think just personal development, your personal development, sort of staying honest with yourself about your skills, what you really want, um, and really being grounded in that as a, a path for career growth, I think has been key, certainly for me. 
I spent like probably the first 10 years of my working life, like really angsty because I didn't, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. I know some folks sort of come into the world fully formed and know that they want to be CPAs or attorneys or whatever. You know, I was an English major who's like, I don't know, I was good with words and I liked people. And over time it became clear I wanted to be a therapist and all of these things, but it just took time for that clarity to unfold for me. So I knew we were cut from the same cloth a little bit because I took 10 years to figure out where I fit in the professional world as well. And it took an MBA to give me some glimpse into what I was actually really talented to do and really passionate about. Was there a particular turning point for you in that progression? I know it takes time, but was there a particular major milestone that was like, okay, I, I get a little bit more now or I get it? You know, I think for me, it was I, in my personal life, I was doing some volunteer work at a, a women's jail in LA for the county of LA. It was in Linwood. And it was just a peer to peer counselor for people in jail. And I had been in my own psychotherapy before and sort of all these things. But I was talking with this woman who was, her first name was Gisette. She was in a solitary confinement cell in the women's jail. And I was sitting on the floor cross-legged and we were talking through like the little slot that you give somebody's food to them through, right? It was this really dire setting. The circumstances many of these women had come from were like terrible, right? Just like it was really eye-opening in that way about privilege and all of these other things. And at the same time, she was so clear with me when she said, I don't have anybody else to blame but myself for being here. Like these were my choices. She was just in that real transformational point of taking responsibility for herself, like acknowledging all of the crummy circumstances, but fully being responsible for herself. And I had this sort of aha moment about psychotherapy anyway, of like, oh, this is what I, I want to work with people in this space. And like, I have some, some, something about me that elicits like trust and comfort and safety. So I went off to marriage and family therapy school, basically, I got a master's in clinical psych. And I thought that that would mean leaving carbon five and just having this totally different career path. And when the time came, our CEO, who I'd known for a number of years at that point, asked what it would take for me to stay. And I said, well, you guys obviously have a need for HR. There's a career narrative, I suppose, for me in there. You know, it wasn't what I had had my hopes set on, but I was open to it because I really liked Carbon 5. I liked the people. I respected our leadership team. I still do. You know, and they came back with a, an offer and sort of a suggestion for what the path could look like that was better than what I had certainly expected from Carbon 5 and was not at all what I had planned. I was expecting to go work for like the county of LA and do like mental health and totally like have a career change. Here we are. I feel. I hope that answers your question. I feel like it was a little in the weeds maybe. But. No, that's fascinating. I mean, from the floor of a jail cell to, you know, an aha moment, an insight to a different career path to then, you know, having done such a great work with the company that they were willing to continue to engage you. That's a phenomenal story. Ending up in the executive suite at our company was not something that I'd realized was a possibility, right? So it's cool. I mean, I love it. Here I am. Like, it's great. And I, you know, it's been super rewarding. So. Well, and that's, that's the interesting part. And what I love talking with guests about is the fact that, you know, you didn't set out and say, well, I have to be VP of HR, right? It wasn't, that wasn't the goal. The goal was to continuously learn, develop yourself, build skills. And as you did that, it sounds like those opportunities then either became visible or were presented to you as a result of your performance. Totally. They were presented to me, definitely performance. And also I will say I had, Carbon5 is a really growth-minded company and the leadership of the company is growth-minded. One of the great things about tech generally, um, and in particular engineering, is there is 
a fair amount of room for like non-traditional entry into the field. Um, you don't have to have gotten a computer science degree and that, you know, there's not this, a career path the way that there is for like an attorney or something like that, where you go major in poli sci and all of these things. But I think that translated to giving me the opportunity too, because my background was all administration prior to that. And granted, I've been at Wells Fargo and Capital Group and a major city entity. Like I'd worked in sort of real institutions, but again, it's work that tends to be devalued. People in that role tend to be dismissed, um, which, you know, was a little bit of a legacy that I sort of found myself working through at the beginning anyway of this path. Our CEO and the partner team at my company in particular were just, you know, had a willingness to sort of see skill in maybe not what they were expecting and take it and run with it. So I think that I can't understate how important that was too of having a manager and leadership that was willing to see me in a different way rather than the pigeonhole of the job I'd initially been brought in for. That was critical. Yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful. Hat goes off to your leadership team and, and having the foresight and ability to see that. And it built a great business. You said it'd been around for 20 years. That takes a lot <laughs> to stick around for 20 years. <laughs> I mean, like the first dot-com bubble days of 2008, like the pandemic, you know, and the company has, you know, we ha- I haven't had explosive growth, right? We're still like, you know, at times we've been closer to 100. It's been a bumpy couple of years, as everybody who is awake and aware in the world knows. It's been a, a really consistent sort of rock solid business for a number of years. And I think it's due to the leadership of the team of the company in particular and great people, you know. And, and the foundational element that the, that leadership plays in Carbon 5 and, and your longevity is a perfect example of that. Your growth is a perfect example of that. And that's that's really wonderful. So what is it about your CEO and, and the founding team or the early people that, you know, what are some of the characteristics that they brought to the table that enabled them to build this culture of, you know, employing people who maybe come from diverse backgrounds or don't fit perfectly into this role or whatnot, but they see this yep. incredible potential? It's, I think that's a great question. So our CEO and our COO have been here since sort of day one of the company. And then we have four other team, people on the partner team and then me as the VP. And we, we comprise the executive suite. And everybody on our team, I'm the short timer with my nine years, right? Everybody else on that team has been here more like 15 years or above, right? And it operates very consensus-based, very egalitarian, and there's a lot of group sort of decision-making and there's a lot of respect given to individual voices and which, you know, pros and cons, right? Like sometimes consensus-based means things change really slowly and you're tearing your hair out. And at the same time, there's a lot of wisdom in the collective decision-making process um, and a lot of buy-in when we do actually make a decision and move forward. And I think that that's been very top-down from our CEO and our COO, Mike and Don, Mike, Mike Weinholds and Don Thompson. Um, and I think in my experience, and you know, I've been an admin for people with like lofty titles and you see people up close, right? When you're in that role for better and for worse. And so, especially with the the benefit of some like background to be able to compare it against, I think Mike and Don in particular are like fundamentally pretty kind people. And I think that actually does make a difference. They're very human with other people at the company and accessible. They're both really smart um, and really strategic sort of about like playing the long game with people and with the company and all of these things. But I think in the day-to-day, what I see in particular from our CEO, from Mike, is a willingness to have hard conversations, make hard decisions, to know when to pick your battles. I see in particular might give people the benefit of the doubt beyond what I have innately always been able to do. And I see how much that is rewarded with people then 
sort of living up to your good expectations of them, right? Like I've seen him give people the benefit of the doubt and then they surprise, they certainly surprise me and they sort of absolutely brings out the best in people. So those are things that I, that thing in particular, I can be a little bit risk averse and gun shy. Uh, And so that, that trait in particular is aspirational for me. Like I really respect Mike and I sort of, you know, I, I try to keep that in mind and treat people that way more. And And again, I see the benefits of it. You know, it goes for me back to that, again, that personal development piece of I uh, really appreciate that my CEO of my company has the inner resources to have the hard conversations and the sort of the security and the grounding and the sense of self and the confidence um, and a conscience and sense of priorities and, you know, to sort of tolerate like the strain and the pressure of being the head of a company who sometimes does things that people don't like or makes high stakes decisions and being willing to just sort of like able and willing to let the chips fall where they may, but do the thing that he thinks is the right thing to do. That paints a pretty amazing picture. That's awesome. Look forward to meeting your exec team someday. Question about advice. And you're in an incredible environment. It sounds like a very strong culture. Obviously, been around for a long time. Um, There's a lot of trust, giving people the benefit of the doubt. But I know that all my listeners don't always have the benefit of working inside of an environment like that. So if someone was in, let's say, the opposite environment where there was a lot of uh, skepticism and you know not a lot of focus on personal and professional growth, um, and they were struggling with their manager or their boss or the situation that they were in at whatever level that they're at, what advice would you have them from a leadership perspective to help them navigate a difficult situation like that? You know, the first thing that comes up for me, the loudest and the strongest, is to know when to call it. And and I think it's one thing to hang in there, do what you can to make it improve, look out for yourself, see where you can keep advancing or how you can change that environment. But I think be honest with yourself and know when to call it and accept that instead of hitting your head against the brick wall of trying to change things that are totally outside of your control, like a toxic culture, for example. Just get out, right? And have like you know, keep your resume current, stay marketable, stay current, stay relevant, have some money in the bank. So if, you know, a line gets crossed for you, you can walk with little notice and still be okay. I think that's the way to have sort of true freedom in showing up for a job and like real autonomy is to know that you're making a choice to do it. And the only way you can make a choice is if you have another option, you know, and know that you're okay to go. So I think just know when to call it because, you know, life's too short. Right. <laughs> totally. Well, you know, and I took a general management, a business general management course uh, with Michael Deering, with um, Harrison Metal. Yeah, right. You know, Harrison Metal, right? And one of the standout concepts of that class to me was this idea of like shock absorbers for things that you, things and people that you cannot change in an organization. And I think, you know, you just, you can give someone the feedback, you can make a suggestion, and that's all you can do. And they can either take it in and respond and do something differently great. And if not, like, how can you shock absorb for that, including then if you consider yourself like your own business, like including get removing yourself from the environment when it's too, it's costing you too much emotionally or psychologically or whatever it is. That's right. Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. And and as you, you made a really great point there that I echo a lot, which is about if you're running your own business, which is you, and I refer to this as being the CEO of your career, right? This audience has heard me talk about that a lot, which is, you're in control. Like, no, you're the only thing that you're going to be with for your entire career. (laughs) You better make sure that your single most valuable asset, which is you, is, you know, increasingly more valuable over time. And that will just produce more and more opportunities. I think you're a perfect example of that. Thank you for your kind words. And and that totally speaks to one of my 
big principles, which is that like personal development and like your own continued personal growth is like the wellspring of expansion, development, prosperity, like all of those things. You have to sort of just be engaged with yourself, honest with yourself and committed to growing and sort of, and I think then what comes with that, at least for me, is trusting what unfolds from that and trusting that it might be bigger than my kind of rigid myopic plan that I have my, for myself at the moment, being open to like new possibilities, right? And I had to, a big, a big lesson to that for me was when I made the transition into HR for Carbon 5 was I had my mind made up, I was going to go leave and do something else. You know, it was not even on my radar. And if I had been rigidly faithful to my idea of how I thought it was supposed to go, I would have passed up on doing this, which, you know, probably would have been fine too. I think in some ways there are no wrong choices sometimes, but you know, this worked out better than I could foresee at the time. Yeah. That's awesome. That echoes another thing that I'd like to think about is, you know, all you need is a vision and the next step, (laughs) everything else you'll figure it out as you go. Yeah. Like you can have ideas, but like, who knows what's going to unfold. So just like take the next right step and see what happens. Right. And each door will open up potentially different doors that you didn't even know existed before. That's right. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. I'm curious about inside of Carbon5, though the, the employee base is largely engineering focused, software engineers. And from a stereotype perspective, you know, leadership inside and leadership development inside of a software engineering organization can be a little bit tricky, a little difficult, completely different culture than some other parts of the business. So given that you've been um, within Carbon 5 for nearly 10 years and the base is like this and you've risen to VP of HR, how do you approach the growth and development from a leadership perspective of the people who are working inside in this very technical field? Yeah, that's a great question. Also, we are um, heavily engineering focused. We, at the same time, I should have mentioned it earlier, we do have like a significant design team and also like a product management team. So we have um, a pretty well-rounded staff, but we do have more engineers than anybody else. At Carbon5 in particular, there is a lot of grassroots engagement about learning. There's a lot of intellectual curiosity just kind of in the mix at the company culture. Um, And we don't hire for intellectual curiosity. It's not like a checklist on a hiring rubric of like, we're the intellectually curious, but I think there's an an element of self-selection, you know, and that's just like a huge part of the culture. So, you know, we don't have to do like a lot of top-down forcing development on people. They tend to pick it up themselves. Um, And I also think that the nature of the way the company works, like client engagements that rotates, people are just constantly thrust into new environments, whether it's like a domain with like a different just lexicon and sort of base of concepts to learn on the fly so that you can talk intelligently about the product you're building, right? Or it could be a new language or whatever it is. Like they're kind of having to constantly learn anyway and work with new and different types of people. And I just think that promotes growth really organically. And I also will say that we're, our hiring process is fairly selective and we screen not just for technical skills in the discipline, but we also do behavioral interviewing and, and assess people for their ability to work as consultants, which is to say like, always be the adult in the room, be able to communicate with people where they're at, 
facilitate, be persuasive, collaborative, collectivist. We screen for those things, even just in hiring. They're so like fundamental to our company's way of doing business. So I think that's part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. No, that, that sounds great. And it's, you know, interesting what you can pull into the hiring process, you know, and I think that that is an area of opportunity usually for most organizations is to identify those things that are really core to you and your culture and your business and whatnot and integrate them into the process, not necessarily as a checklist thing, but have to be covered in some form or format. What's the most uh, like unusual part of the hiring process that you might think is different from how other people do it that allows you guys to screen for these things in a little bit different fashion? You know, I so I'm probably biased about what I think stands out. So take this with a grain of salt, maybe. But we do have um, an explicitly called out behavioral interviewing hour in the interview process. And there's a team of us who conduct that interviewing. I do it too sometimes. Um, and we have a core set of questions we draw on that just talk about like how you work with other people. We touch on diversity in your experience in sort of educating yourself about people who might be different from you. We also look for folks to tell us about times when maybe they've stepped in it, whether it's about diversity related issues or just about making a mistake at work and how they handled that. Um, so we really look for people to be able to sort of in the abstract, talk about these concepts. We talk about psychological safety a lot um, and why that's important. We also ask for some examples of it too. And what we find is that like the signal we get in behavioral interviewing, the rest of our interviewing team picks up on too, but they don't always have the language to call it out or to identify it. So um, I think that behavioral piece. And then at the end of our process, we do um, sort of a 360 review of the candidate. And we have we're usually pretty well aligned on the decision of, to pass or push forward a candidate into making an offer. Um, and I, I think that behavioral screen kind of actually helps with that cohesion. Yeah, that's great. And being disciplined and upfront about what the bar is, right? It's critically important for that in order to make sure that whoever comes in is not just, you know, well-liked by the interviewers, but actually meets all the criteria. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've received a number of promotions to get to the VP level. And I'm curious if there was one of those that stood out to you as that you were exceptionally proud of. Maybe it was getting to VP or maybe it was getting the first one from the, you know, administrative work into the manager role or whatnot. Um, which one of those really stood out to you as being, you know, important and feeling like a huge sense of accomplishment? That's, you know, it's a great question. I, in terms of my professional accomplishments, I think... In some ways, the promotion into director even was the sort of middle one. You know, I went from manager to director and VP. And, again, you know, I'm a small company, so the path was pretty open for me at Carbon 5 and HR. But I think that director one, because there was a sort of like buy-in from the leadership team. And like um, that was really when I started having a voice in this kind of very consensus-based executive team. Um, and that's really where I got my sea legs in terms of my confidence shaking off the imposter syndrome, right? Uh, being willing to say the thing that I felt like nobody was saying in the room or in a conversation. And again, like I have a, like the, you know, I care really dearly and deeply for the people that I work with at Carbon 5. And it's a really supportive place to like make mistakes or say that you feel afraid of, you know, what you can, you can be pretty open about like what's going on and you get met with a fair amount of support. So that made a huge difference for me too. Um, and at the same time, the VP thing was like, it's a big deal. You know, it's, we're a tiny company, but for my personal narrative and my personal journey and where I started out and my family background and all of these things, 
it, you know, that does have like a little sheen of like, maybe I can relax and breathe and trust that like, I have an established career that, it, you know, that I'm okay, right? Like I'm here and I'm okay. And like, so there's a sort of a little interesting, like personal history, like, de- like, you know, trauma history, right? Kind of piece in that too. And just sort of that validation of like, all right, I'm doing a good job. I have things to offer, the, you know, so, and then also getting my license. That was a big deal too, but that's a conversation for a separate podcast, maybe. That's wonderful. And, and you hit on a really important point on the imposter syndrome piece. And I've certainly felt that myself. Many of my guests have felt that too. I know this audience feels that to varying degrees on a day-to-day basis. What were some of the things that helped you overcome that? Obviously getting promoted to director was a, was a part of that, but how did you internally overcome that, that maybe somebody else can hear your story and, and feel a little bit more confident going into their role? Um, not to hammer on about it, personal work, right? I'm in therapy. Therapy was really helpful in talking that through and getting just some tools to work through that. I think getting... As I got to work more closely with people who had titles or responsibilities that I felt intimidated by and sort of seeing like, oh, nobody has like the rule book that they're consulting every morning for how to do their job. Like kind of really seeing like everybody is like winging it with some degree of like confidence about that. You know, that was like, I think that was probably the biggest one of just like, oh, this is like, this is just what it is to be an adult with a serious job, you know, is feeling like you don't know what you're doing, you know, or whatever it is. So I think those are probably the big things. Those are great. And those are oftentimes like that's the perception, right? Is that, oh, somebody at a VP level is at this whole other stratosphere away from me at this director level or manager to director or IC to manager. And the reality is it's just not the case. Everybody's, you know, figuring out how to solve the problems that they're facing on a day-to-day basis. And if they have tools, they can support them. That's okay. And I think, you know, for the the inner resources piece, like really doing whatever work I needed to do or anybody else might need to do to sort of get to a place about yourself where you really just believe that like you belong in any room that you're in, any table that you're at, any conversation you're in, like you belong there and you have something to contribute, I think is huge. You know, that's usually a pivotal moment. And, you know, if it hasn't happened for whoever's listening here yet, it, it will, right? With consistent persistence and growth and development of you, as you were talking about, Amanda, um, it happened for me many years ago. There was some uh, monthly dinners of executives in my particular space in the customer success field in San Francisco that would happen. And it was the, I was a very newly minted VP of customer success. And I would go to these dinners and I would sit around the table with some very, very senior people who were always on stage at all the conferences and like just very well-known names. And here I am the new VP and I was scared the first couple of those, right? But after a few, like my contributions to the conversation, these are very small, like 10 people type of dinners. But my contributions to the conversation were, I realized, no different than what the other people who I held on this high pedestal. And that gave me a tremendous amount of confidence to say, I'd serve a seat at this table. I can be in this room. I can I can add value to this conversation. And it was funny because it was nothing else changed on the outside. It was just me recognizing that my contributions are valuable in that audience with people who I held at a different place. And we're all they're all just people too. Yep, absolutely. I think, you know, I had I the exact moment where that happened for me was uh, one of the first offsites I did with the rest of the executive team. We were talking about a people related thing. And it just sort of dawned on me that like, I was the only person who has the perspective that I have about people with my particular background. And so it makes sense that I'm going to be equipped to see something that somebody else with this like group of people who are super smart and like super pro and have been doing their jobs for a long time. 
but it's not what I do. And it's not the background that I have. And that like it would, in a way I had like a duty, frankly, to represent my field and perspective. And that that's why I was there. And it just, that question like of imposter, do I belong here or do I know what I'm doing? Just was pretty quiet for me after that, which was cool. It's like psychologically way less tiring to show up every day when you're just like, you know, there's so much more energy, but you get so much more brain space to focus on solving the problems that you before were worried about solving because you didn't believe you could solve them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Exactly. And then also awesome. sometimes that like new brain space, you also see problems that weren't even on your radar, but you know, clearing that space, you know, to focus on the important things being the problems to solve and what you didn't see before is exponentially more valuable than worrying about whether or not you belong someplace or worrying totally. that somebody else thinks you don't belong here. Cause it's just a waste of time. Cause it's not true. Right. If your company is back to you to this point, still employs you, pays you every day to show up and do work, they believe that you should be there doing that work. If they didn't, you probably wouldn't be working there anymore. Correct. Like, yes. So every day your company is voting for you and saying, I believe in you 100% when they pay you to come to work and do the work that you do. Absolutely. And I, I want to sort of add a little dimension to this conversation about imposter syndrome, too which is, I think everybody struggles with it, right? Like, as we've said, like for women and people of color and people who are in groups that like maybe don't look like everybody else in the room, I think there is like a a double whammy of it because you can get mixed signals, right? And you get the like, you know, you experience like you say a thing and nobody responds to it and somebody else says it and everybody responds to it. And you're like, am I losing my mind? And it takes a little, I think a little time and experience and good outside to support to sort of get the validation too of like, these social dynamics exist that's nice. I'm still here. And, you know, and you kind of learn how to like overcome that layer of it too. Um, and sort of like the meta communication from just from the world that we live in that might send these sort of mixed signals of like, yes, we want you here, but also we're going to treat you a little differently than somebody who looks different than you. And I think that doesn't have to hold you back, I think in some ways. And, you know, obviously I have some advantages in that. And at the same time, like it, it would not have been in my best interest to collude with the idea that I was powerless also. You know what I mean? So it was sort of mixed for me of like acknowledging that like the isms are real and I still can comport myself this way and still know that I belong here and everybody else can get on that same page with me or not. But I know that I'm here and my boss has my back. And again, it's not bad at C5. Like, you know, it's just a place. It's not transcendent of the rest of the society that we live in. Right. So curious for your advice for someone who is in that position, perhaps minority, um, you know, does not feel one, there's the imposter syndrome, but two, then there's the social and cultural pieces that go on top of that. What advice would you give them from the internal side, right? Things that they can 100% control. They're never going to be able to control the the room that they're in. But what advice would you give them to think about before they go into that room to set them up for the best possible chance of success, knowing that they have a different mountain to climb than a lot of the other people in there? Yeah, I think uh, that same, for sure, the same thing about doing whatever work you need to do to believe in yourself and trust yourself. I think having mentors that are supportive and understand all the nuances of what you particularly are dealing with in that environment is helpful. I think that's still kind of it. And and also that's a little bit of that. And also know when to go out or when to get out of the environment. Like just know, like for you, what's the baseline for how you need to be treated and what you need to see from the culture and the environment around you. And if that's not it, like start making moves to get out of it too. Yeah, that's a great point. Because there are some of those things that definitely will not change 
anytime soon. And if you feel discriminated against or if you feel um, put in an unfair position, sadly, no amount of effort of banging your head against the wall may not change that in whatever given circumstances or environment you're in. And the economy in our world today is filled with opportunity. And so there are many other people who would love to have a conversation with you. I guarantee it. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's quite true. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Um, All right, Amanda, kind of bringing it all to a close here and, and getting to wrapping up. Um, You've dropped some incredible advice and some incredible nuggets of wisdom about believing in yourself, overcoming imposter syndrome, being open to possibilities and continuously learning and developing. I'm just curious, um, what advice would you give yourself, the Amanda, when you got out of undergrad school, before you went on that 10-year journey of trying to figure out where you fit, knowing everything you know today and the path that you took and how you got here and all the good stuff, If you go back and had a conversation with Amanda from that period of time, what advice would you give yourself? I think just like hang in there. You know, if I wanted to dress that up and make it sound a little bit more elegant for an audience on a podcast, I might say trust the process or, you know, things like that. But I think just hang in there and sort of trust that like it will make sense over time. I don't know if um, you're familiar with Soren Kierkegaard, uh, good old existentialist philosopher. I'm quite an existentialist at heart and it informs my clinical practice for sure. But there's a famous Kierkegaard quote that I think it is that life can only be understood backwards, but it must always be lived forwards. The path makes sense in retrospect to me, right? And at times it was just blundering forward, you know, but I think sort of seeing that in retrospect gives me a lot of um, confidence going forward and just to trust what unfolds and what presents itself to me that it's going to be okay. I think I, I could have had a more enjoyable like years 22 through 32 if I could have really internalized that a little bit more earlier on. Just like, just hang in there. It'll come together. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Wonderful advice. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for spending a little time with me today talking about all things leadership. Really appreciate your insights, background, expertise. It was a blast. I hope to um, hear about all the incredible things that you and the Carbon 5 team are doing going forward. Thank you. It was super fun. um, And I hope something is helpful to somebody out there. Oh, I guarantee it. 100%. All right. Take care. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.